Hey friends, good morning. Let me invite you to open your copy of God's Word to Ruth chapter 3. Ruth chapter 3, that's right, Judges, Ruth. It's the eighth book of the Bible. And it's always in the table of contents, right? Ruth chapter 3, we'll be... Uh, We'll be reading the whole chapter through the course of the sermon today, but just to get us going, I'd like to read the first five verses of this chapter. So uh, follow along with me, if you will. Ruth chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, to begin with, reading from the English Standard Version, hear the word of the Lord. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he is finished eating and drinking." But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say, I will do. So let's ask the Lord for his help as we look into this curious passage today. Let's, uh, let's pray. Uh, we'll pray together. Father, do give us your wisdom and insight into this uh, rather odd chapter in the book of Ruth. Help us to understand what's going on here. And quicken our minds and with your spirit, fill us. And uh, Father, feed us from your word today. Uh, Jesus, may we see you in these verses before us. Uh, strengthen each of us, myself, my, my voice, and my mind, and, and us as hearers. Give us listening ears, and we we commit our time to you now and pray this through Christ. Amen. Writing letters of recommendation can be a tricky business. I don't know if you've ever had to do it, but I've, uh, several people have asked me over the years, as, you know, as a pastor, would you write me a, write me a letter of recommendation? And, and all but one time I've been able to do it. Uh, but if you've ever been asked to do that, um, if you tell the unvarnished truth about someone, these days you might get sued if your comments are negative. And so Robert Thornton, a professor at Lehigh University, has a collection of virtually litigation-proof phrases <laughs> to help prevent this. Feel free to use these if you're... Uh, it's called the Lexicon of Intentionally Ambiguous Recommendations. L-I-A-R. <laughs> Here are some examples. To describe an incompetent person, he suggests, I enthusiastically recommend this candidate with no qualifications whatsoever. <laughs> now, you've got to think about some of these. To describe a former employee who had problems getting along with his fellow workers, he recommends something like this. I am pleased to say that this candidate is a former colleague of mine. <laughs> to describe an unproductive candidate, I can assure you that no person would be better for the job. And this is my favorite, to describe an applicant not even worth their, their time, he suggests, I would urge you to waste no time in making this candidate an offer of employment. <laughs> Again, it's all how you read it. So last week at the end of chapter 2, the narrator left us hanging with the last phrase of verse 21. And she, Ruth, that is, lived with her mother-in-law. In chapter 2, we were introduced uh, to a godly man named Boaz who very graciously and extravagantly provided for Ruth and Naomi. 
And it just so happened that this godly and generous man was a relative who could redeem uh, Ruth and Naomi from their poverty. But the narrator points out in this last phrase that even though Ruth and Naomi now had food on the table, there was still the glaring need of a husband for Ruth, someone who could rescue her from the poverty of widowhood. Is, is Boaz then just a warm body who can, uh, who can fill the role of family redeemer? Was Naomi recommending him, putting him forward to Ruth uh, with, as he said, no qualifications whatsoever? Or could Boaz really do the job? Could he become the redeemer that Ruth so desperately needed, the man who could marry her and provide her with a home and raise up an heir for Elimelech? Well, the worth of Ruth's redeemer shines in these verses. And there are three distinguishing marks that prove Boaz to be a worthy redeemer. Uh, three distinguishing marks of Ruth's Redeemer here in this chapter. We want to examine these this morning. Uh, the first mark is confidence in her Redeemer. Boaz is worthy of Ruth and Naomi's complete confidence and trust. I want to want you to see three things here. The first is, is Naomi's concern as verse 1 begins then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, note that it begins with the word then, and you might be, mis, uh, be given the mistaken impression that uh, chapter 3 follows immediately on the heels of chapter 2, but this is not the case. We'll see in just a minute that, that the grain is, is, is at the threshing floor. Both the barley and wheat harvests are concluded. So it's about six to eight weeks later, or, or uh, just over a, a, about a month and a half uh, ago that, that Ruth was sent home with that generous provision of food from Boaz. Uh, and, and look at the change that's taken place in Naomi during this time. It says, Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Uh, rest refers to peace and security. It's an important word in, in this book. It's specifically the peace and security that she hopes Ruth will find through marriage to another man. Uh, it's remarkable because one writer says that up to this point, Naomi's really had three people that she cares about. Me, myself, and I. And so this is really a dramatic shift in her thought. Her heart seems to have, have softened, and she's finally paying attention to Ruth and expressing genuine concern for her, having, having experienced the faithfulness of God through, through Boaz's provision. She really seems to, to have softened. And she's thinking about someone else's needs for a change. Should I not seek rest for you? Ruth, I, I want you to have peace and security in the home of a husband. And, and then she adds that it may be well with you. In, in the ancient world, widowhood frequently meant poverty and, and destitution. And this was certainly the case with Naomi and Ruth, if, as we've seen. And, and Naomi wants Ruth to es escape uh, the stigma attached to widowhood during this time period. From her concern, we go on, and, and the next thing we see is her concoction. Uh, in her concern for Ruth, Naomi concocts a daring plan to achieve this rest. Notice verse 2. Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? By referring to Boaz as a relative, Naomi is pointing out that Boaz was in a position to redeem Ruth. Uh, last Sunday and in, in the weeks before, I've mentioned that uh, he was in the position of a family redeemer or kinsman redeemer. This person was usually a brother 
to the widow. Uh, he was obligated to marry his brother's widow and raise up an heir for him. He was also obligated to buy back the family's property when it fell into the hands of creditors. Boaz was able to do both for Ruth. But this daring plan uh, continues in the middle of verse 2. See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Uh, again, the grain had been all gathered at the threshing floor. This was a location probably on, on the top of a, a hill, some kind of elevation. And what they would do is they would uh, crush the grain underneath the feet of an animal, or they would sometimes use what's called a threshing sledge. And this separated the grain itself from the husks uh, around uh, the grain. Uh, and then toward the evening, uh, evening was when the, the evening breezes began to blow, a gentle breeze. And so they would, they would uh, take a winnowing fork and they would scoop this up and into the breeze, they would toss it in the air and the breeze would, would blow away the husks but the grain would fall back to the ground and, and thus they would process or winnow uh, the harvest. During this time, the men would sleep at the threshing floor to, to guard the grain from being stolen, to protect it from wild animals. Naomi has learned that it is apparently Boaz's turn to guard the winnowed grain. And her plan continues in verse 3. It says, Wash therefore and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. She's not telling Ruth to get dressed up for her date. She is not telling Ruth to put on her best dress for the evening. What she is suggesting, according to several scholars, is that she should end her period of mourning. She's likely been in mourning since she arrived in Bethlehem. She, she was probably working even in her mourning attire. And what Naomi is suggesting is that Ruth change clothes so that Boaz can see that her, her mourning for her late husband has come to an end. This is why... Nothing has happened in the weeks in between. This is why Boaz hasn't taken initiative and, and asked Ruth out. I don't know what to say, uh, or, or made some kind of arrangement. He's respecting that she is in mourning for her late husband. So this is Naomi's, uh, I call it a concoction. It's not sinister, but it's her, her it's really a daring plan for Ruth. And, and she uh, devises this plan to find Ruth a husband, namely Boaz, their family redeemer. So from this concoction, we see a third thing, and that is her confidence. Oh, she is completely confident in the godly character of Boaz. She is casting this whole idea on what he will do. And so, trusting in him uh, implicitly, she sends Ruth to the threshing floor at night. Verse 4 describes this. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. Uh, note, note that she's leaving it, the results entirely in his hands, and Ruth is too. And she replied, all that you say, I will do. There are some scholars who just go crazy with this verse and suggest that there are all kinds of sexual overtones and innuendos in these words. And it's true that sometimes these words are used like that with uh, sexual overtones, but not here. I just ask you to think about how Boaz has been described to us and how Ruth has acted and, and how she will be referred to later in this very chapter. None of them are ever uh, portrayed 
in a bad light or no suggestion is made that their character is questionable. And, and some even go so far to suggest that Naomi is encouraging Ruth to seduce Boaz. It's crazy. Uh, the, the narrator has gone out of his way to point out that Boaz is a godly man. It will point out later that Ruth is the same. Now, we have to admit this is unusual and even puzzling, but it's not sexual in nature. So what's this bit about Ruth uncovering his feet? Uh, I put it to you that it, and, and scholars concur with this, that it's a simply a way to wake Boaz up when his feet got cold. <laughs> oh my word, could it be as simple as that? There's no need to go turning this into a soap opera. It probably was just as simple as that. This uh, would, of course, lead to a private meeting where Ruth could express that her time of mourning had ended and where she could make her humble petition to Boaz. Don't overlook that phrase in verse 4, that very last phrase, and he will tell you what to do. She is, Naomi is resting on the character of this man. Uh, to do the right thing and rests in his godly character. And again, Ruth chimes in and also uh, entrusts the evening to Boaz. She replied, all that you say, I will do. Down toward the middle of verse 12, if you'd glance down your page, I want to point out a phrase to you. Boaz is speaking, and in the middle of verse 12, he says to Ruth, Yet there is a Redeemer nearer than I. Now, he's initially referring to a, a, a human relative, a, another relative who's closer than he, but he, he speaks better than he knows. He says more than he knows. Because there is another Redeemer nearer than him. He points us ahead to a greater Boaz. Boaz points us ahead to his descendant and our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. And like Boaz, our Redeemer is also worthy of our complete confidence. He can be trusted. He will not fail us. Listen to some of the promises that he's made about this. This is from Joshua 1.5. Uh, no man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. I love the way the NASB translates this last phrase. I will not fail you. And then from Hebrews, these uh, familiar words based on this Joshua passage we just read. Keep your life free from the love of money and, and uh, where did I go? Keep your life free from the love of money. Be satisfied with what you have. For himself has said, I will never leave you or abandon you. Therefore we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Again, I love this uh, version of the underlined phrase, I will never leave you or abandon you. And then one, one more cross-reference, going back to the book of Joshua. And now I am about to go the way of all the earth, and you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. For uh, this baseball player, a pitcher, uh, it's said that he performed few 
uh, little of the very extraordinary that we see many baseball players do. This uh, pitcher, he was a veteran of 21 seasons in Major League Baseball, which is a long time. But only once did he win more than 20 games, kind of the benchmark for uh, pitchers in Major League, at least it was when I was growing up. Never pitched a no-hitter. Only once did he lead uh, Major League Baseball in any category. But on June 21st, uh, 1986, Don Sutton, who many of you know is a, a Braves announcer for uh, several years, he rubbed pitching elbows with the true legends of baseball by becoming the 13th pitcher to win 300 games. His analysis of his success is, is worthy of note. He called himself a grinder and a mechanic. Sounds exciting, isn't it? I never considered myself flamboyant or exceptional, but all my life I found a way to get the job done. And get it done he did. Through two decades, six presidential terms, and four trades, he consistently did what major league pitchers are supposed to do. He won ball games. With tunnel vision devotion, he spent 21 seasons redefining greatness, and he's been referred as the family sedan of baseball's men on the mound. Now we have to take, remember that he won over 300 games, but that means he lost over 200 as well. We have a Redeemer who has never failed, never failed, far more consistent than Don Sutton or any baseball player ever it was. Cal Ripken with his Ironman record of game, consecutive games played. Anything like that. Christ is worthy of our complete confidence. I wonder if you're here today and You've stumbled in sin this week. And you wonder if you have stumbled yourself out of his grace. And if, if he will take you back this time. And he says, I will never abandon you. And he calls you this morning to come back to him because he will not fail you. Perhaps you're wondering if you're older in years, if he might not leave you as you continue to grow older. Will he provide for me in my, my older years, my golden years as the saying goes? He says, I will never fail you. I will not fail you. I will not fail you. Friend, you can throw your complete weight on him today. You cannot cast yourself on him and find him missing. He will be there and he will hold your weight The first mark of, of Ruth's Redeemer is confidence. He is worthy of confidence. And ours is as well. Naomi launches this plan to provide for Ruth, completely trusting in Boaz, the Redeemer. Well, there's another distinguishing mark of, of her Redeemer, and that's rest. Uh, the second mark is rest in her Redeemer. Ruth follows Naomi's plan and finds, finds rest under the wings of her Redeemer. I want to show you two things 
uh, at, in this point. The first, I want you to see Ruth's courage. Uh, look at verse 6 in your Bible. It says, So she went down to the threshing floor, and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk, and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. Just stop for a minute and, and recognize that Naomi's daring plan had great potential for disaster. It's hanging by a thread. Uh, to begin with, remember Ruth was a Moabite woman. And Moabite women in Israel were not thought of highly. Uh, in Numbers 25, the women of Moab led the Israelite men into sexual immorality and idolatry. A plague broke out amongst Israel. The country had its origin in incest between a, a drunken Lot and his daughter. And so to say that Moabite women were not thought highly of would be an understatement. And any Israelite man who, who married a Moabite woman would be putting himself in a very uncertain and awkward position. There's the distinct chance that should he marry a Moabite woman, he would be shunned by the town and both would become social outcasts. Well, there's that. But can then consider this. <clears throat> In addition to Ruth's country of origin, several men point out that Naomi's plan is just full of social blunders. I mean, her plan was simply not the way things were done in Israel. A woman was proposing to a man. A younger person was proposing to an older person. Not that he's old. He's, he's out working in the fields all day long. He, he is by no means elderly, but he is older. And a foreigner proposing to a native of Israel? It's just full of social miscues and, and really had no chance of succeeding unless, of course, God intervened. The potential for disaster is great. And the crucial moment comes in verse 8. Look at what it says. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over. Startled is one way to put it, <coughs> or frightened. But it can also be translated, the man shivered. Uncovering his feet worked. His feet got cold from the night air and he began to shiver. And, and he's doing what you do when you stick your feet out of the covers at night. You, you wake up, your feet are cold, and you lean down to throw the blanket over, which is what he did, does. He turns over to get his feet and he sees someone in the dark. Uh, and behold, what in the world, you could say. A woman lay at his feet and he said, who are you? <coughs> And with courage, Ruth proceeds with her request. And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. And note the profound humility that she, she uh, expresses here. She, she is not taking anything for granted. Keenly aware of her social standing and adopts this lowly attitude, I am Ruth, your handmaid. And her request follows. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. <coughs> First, she's making, she's making two requests with this statement. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. She is, first of all, outright asking Boaz to marry her. Spread your wings over me, or spread your cover over me, or spread your garment over me. It's a, it's a Hebrew figure of speech for marriage. Uh, when God chose Israel as his covenant people, he says this in Ezekiel 16. 
When I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you were at the age for love, and I spread the corner of my garment over you. Ruth is boldly asking Boaz to marry her as the family redeemer. And second, Ruth is asking Boaz to take her under his wing, uh, to provide for her, to give her rest. She's using his language that he used back in chapter 2, back, back in verse 12 of the previous chapter. Boaz said to Ruth, the Lord repay you for what you've done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Using the same phrase, his own words, Ruth is asking him to become the answer to his own prayer. Take me under your wing and provide for me. Give me the rest I long for in your household. You see the, what a huge gamble this is. Uh, you see the courage required for her to do this. Uh, how, how, how will he respond? Will he toss her out as, as some Moabite tramp? Or, or, or will he redeem her? What we see next is that he agrees to become her covering. He agrees to become Ruth's covering. And he's responded in a way that only God could have orchestrated. To begin with, he blesses her. <coughs> he blesses her. Uh, verse 10 says, And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord my daughter, you have made this last kindness greater than the first. Boaz asks the Lord to bless her for her kindness, her loyal love, her faithful love to Naomi. Her first kindness took place in chapter 2 when she went out to glean in the fields to, to bring Naomi food. <coughs> Excuse me. Her last kindness was that she had put Naomi ahead of her own desires and sought out Boaz to redeem her. Verse 10 goes on to say, uh, in that you have not gone after young men, whether rich or poor. Young men refers to strapping young men, young men in their prime. And the implication of his words is that Ruth could have pursued any young man she wanted, but chose Boaz for the sake of Naomi. And she continues to honor her commitment to her mother-in-law. And Boaz blesses her for it. He blesses her. And then he commends her next. Uh, he commends her as a worthy woman. <coughs> Excuse me. I sang too much. The, the songs were so great, I was singing louder than I should have. <clears throat> Verse 11. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. When she arrived in Bethlehem, uh, she would have been the lowest of the low. In fact, if you remember back in chapter 1, neither Naomi nor the women of Bethlehem even acknowledged Ruth's existence when they returned. But since she returned with Naomi, they've... They've heard about the way she left everything to take care of her mother-in-law. And since Ruth arrived in town, uh, they've seen her go to work in the field. And the whole town has seen her true character. And it's a matter of common knowledge that she's a worthy woman. Same term used to describe Boaz in the last chapter. Fact, it's the same words used in our scripture reading today. An excellent wife, who can find? She is more precious than jewels. Boaz is happy to honor this courageous request because it's common knowledge. Everybody knows that she's a worthy woman, and he commends her. I, there's an application here that I, I want to pause and make, and it's to you young men and women. You know, this is the kind of person you should pursue. Um, someone who cares more about Christ and his cause and honoring the Lord than someone who is so concerned about their appearance 
and their hairdo and all that other junk. And young men, look for a woman like Ruth, like the woman of Proverbs 31. And young women, look for a man like Boaz, who's godly and honorable, who constantly has the name of God on his lips. You don't want to get somebody who never talks about the Lord except on Sunday. That's a bad sign. Somebody who, who says they're a Christian but, but doesn't act it out like Boaz did. Oh, be careful. He commends her as a worthy woman, an excellent woman. And, and Ruth, the whole town knows it. Then the plot darkens. And the shadow creeps over our story because next he cautions her. Look at verse 12. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning if he will redeem you good, let him do it. But he if is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. Boaz is, is a godly man. He couldn't have not said this. It would have been dishonest. The closer relative had a prior claim uh, to marry Ruth and to redeem Naomi's property. He's forced to admit this to her, and, I, and I'm sure that his words made her heart stop. The order of relatives was brother and then uncle and then cousin, and then a close relative from the same tribe. We don't know where Boaz is in this, not a brother or an uncle. It could have been a cousin and a close relative, but he cautions her. There's, there's someone else I, I, have to, I have to tell. But then he promises her, and what a promise. If he redeems you, fine, but if he doesn't, look at this oath he makes. But if he is not willing, middle of verse 13, to redeem you then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. As the Lord lives, I will keep this uh, as surely as the Lord lives. If God were to stop living, then I don't have to keep it. But as our eternal God will continue to exist, I will redeem you. These are, these are solemn words. A, a solemn vow. It's as probably as solemn as he could make uh, based on the very existence of God. And, and all this is Ruth's covering. He agrees to become her covering and, and provide the rest she longs for, the security and, and the protection of a home. Consider that you and I are promised the same rest by our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. As he assures us in Matthew's Gospel, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, uh, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. St. Augustine, one of the early church fathers, said, you have, you have formed us for yourself and our hearts are restless till they find rest in you. So, friend, have you come to Christ for the rest and the security that he offers? Have you come to Christ to rest from your own works and trust in his payment for sin on the cross? Are you still working, hoping that there is something you can do, that you can do enough where he will let you into his heaven? It will not work. He gives us his rest by grace, through faith, 
It is not your own doing so that no man can boast. Have you come to Christ for this rest? Uh, not only salvation, but for satisfaction. Have you come to Christ for satisfaction and found the rest in Him? What we sang about today in, in uh, our song, our uh, singing, of finding Christ worthy and sufficient and, and a joy. Or are you pursuing the next thing? The thing you hope will finally make you... Whew, it won't come. It won't come. I have the authority of the Word of God behind me. Do you recall the book of Ecclesiastes? The man who tried everything? I mean everything. <laughs> I mean everything. And what did he say? Vanity. Of vanities. All is vanity. It's the wind. Whew. Nothing satisfies. And I put it to you. Nothing satisfies except your Redeemer. He can give you rest. This is what Boaz demonstrates. He's a worthy redeemer because he can provide rest, provide the, the home and the security. And she finds rest under the wings of her redeemer. There's one more distinguishing mark I want you to see, and that's fullness in her redeemer. He acts to protect Ruth and, and sends her home filled to the brim. Filled to the brim. Let me point out three things here. The first thing we find is, is his protection. How Boaz steps up to protect her. Look at verse 14. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. After what has transpired at midnight on the threshing floor, we can manage that neither of them slept a wink. Ruth chilled to think that there may be someone other than Boaz. And Boaz, considering how he is going to chase out this other redeemer so he can secure Ruth's hand, they're, they're probably laying wide awake thinking about what to do next. And, and, and they uh, arise at dark because they've never slept probably. And, and uh, get up early in another display of his godly character, swift to protect Ruth's reputation. Verse 14 go, goes on to say, And he said, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. There's no, no indication that anybody else is there. And, and one scholar says, This is probably what he said to himself. Hey, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. Uh, uh, if anyone saw Ruth at the threshing floor that morning, they would get the wrong idea why she was there. And so to avoid this, he acts quickly to send Ruth home, and, and he's going to give her grain to, to help with this uh, protection. If anyone saw Ruth, they would think she came to get grain again and assume she had risen early. And, and, but next we see this provision of grain that again she receives, verse 15. And he said, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it and, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. And then she went into the city. This is a some kind of cloak or shawl uh, or, or some kind of scarf. Uh, and, and into this uh, cape or scarf, he pours six measures of barley. And unfortunately, he doesn't tell us what kind of measure is used. You know, she received an ephah of grain. And that was like a huge bag of dog food. And so it certainly can't be six ephahs, E-P-H-A-H. -H. She would not have been able to carry 
And so scholars generally agree that it might be a sia, which is much less than an ephah, a third of an ephah. And six of these sias of barley would have weighed about 80 pounds, a significant amount of grain. And, and they think that this is the case because of what it says here. And he put it on her. Believing that maybe she carried it on her head like we have seen the women of Guatemala do. It, it is a lot, but Ruth is a young woman. She is full to overflowing again from this Redeemer, Boaz. And then finally, we hear the purpose for this gift. And listen to Ruth explain it in verse 16. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? Which is almost funny because it's, you know, she's got an 80-pound bag of grain on her head. How did it go? What do you think it went? <laughs> and she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. You must not go back empty-handed. Same term Naomi used in chapter 1. She returns from Moab. She says, I went away full. And the Lord has brought me back empty. And through this enormous gift, Boaz seems to be saying, Naomi, don't worry. I will provide fullness for the empty-hearted. I will provide fullness for the empty-hearted. It's what our Redeemer says we can expect from Him. Jesus, our Redeemer, promises us fullness. To the empty-hearted, he says in John 10.10, 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. And then Paul says in Colossians 2, for in him, in Christ that is, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily and you have been filled in Him who is the head of all rule and authority. And then in Ephesians 3, Paul prays uh, for the saints in Ephesus that they may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Just as Ruth and Naomi found fullness in their Redeemer, so we can find fullness in our Redeemer Christ. I know what you're saying. I know what you're thinking. Oh, but Pastor Rob, I feel so empty. Then go back. Go back to Him. I feel empty now. Go back to Him. I don't make it through. Go back to Him. Go back again and hold out your cup. Lord, I, I, it's not even 10 a.m. And I feel empty again. Then go back to the granary. Do you think he'll run out? No, Spencer. One time too many. I'm cutting you off, pal. Either one of the Spencers sitting in the room. <laughs> now, you filled your quota. 
two cups a day. Think of what we read last week. And he is able to make all grace abound to you. So that having all sufficiency at all times, you may abound in every good work. If you feel empty, as I often do, you've got to go back to the greenery and get another cup. Ruth, Redeemer, provides fullness. He acts, acts to protect her while it is still dark, sends her home filled to the brim. So, was Boaz truly qualified for the job? Uh, could he legitimately become the re redeemer she so desperately needed? Who, the man who could marry her and provide her with rest and raise up another heir for Elimelech? Could he uh, provide her fullness? Was he a worthy redeemer? And yes, we've seen he, he just shines here. Uh, and these three things that mark him, that he is worthy of their full confidence because of his godly character, he can be counted on. And your redeemer can be counted on too. Uh, he is worthy uh, because he could supply rest, the home uh, Ruth longed for. And, and he, Christ, is, your Redeemer, is worthy because he too can provide rest for your weary soul. And Boaz was worthy because he could lastly provide fullness and fill the empty hearts of Ruth and Naomi with his provision. And your Redeemer is worthy too because he can fill your emptiness with his fullness with his fullness our redeemer is worthy let's pray as we close christ jesus i pray that we would learn to continually turn to you uh, to bring our empty cup and have you fill it over and over Strengthen us by your good spirit who indwells us, Jesus, to seek our rest in you. If anyone in here today is, is attempting to work their way into your graces, Father, uh, by their performance, I pray that you'd bring them to rest by trusting completely in your son's payment for sin on the cross. Draw them to yourself. Lord, work this through us, let us rest in Jesus, our Redeemer. We pray in his name. Amen.